Good morning, Northbridge. My name is Ray Brandon. I'm the pastor for preaching here at Northbridge. Uh, welcome to those that are gathered with us online as well. If you would grab your Bibles and turn uh, to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, the scripture reading uh, will be from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 this morning. And just as Mark uh, said that we are cultivating joy and that we're cultivating joy um, through prayer, uh, the second Saturday of every month is uh, men's prayer, and we gather on that second Saturday. And then the fourth Sunday, which is today, there is 10 minutes of prayer for men in the prayer room at 1030. So 10 minutes at 1030. Um, we're just going to, if you're, you're here, stay a little longer, you know, go ahead and fellowship in the foyer or out on the steps in back of the church and at 1030, just walk in there. And if the room is packed, not everyone may get a chance to pray. Um, there's no particular agenda, devotional. We're just going to just jump right into prayer. Mike Mueller leads that, that group. And we're just going to pray for 10 minutes, gather men together uh, to, be pre to, to pray. We desire to be a prayerful church and that men lead in prayer, and we are cultivating joy in that way. So I would encourage, or maybe it's a challenge, I would challenge you men to just step in. Maybe you are not at the place where you're ready to pray out loud. That's okay. Step into that room. You can take a pass and listen. That's the best way to learn to pray, is to be around men who pray. And uh, we desire to encourage you in that. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Follow along as I read for you the scriptures this morning. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Imagine with me, just for a moment, that all you can see is darkness. You realize it's the backs of your eyelids. Your eyelids are closed, 
something tragic has happened, and then your eyelids flutter awake. You can hear the familiar sounds. Familiar not because you, you lay in this place where you are. Familiar because you've been around this kind of room and in this place before, but only visiting those that are there in this place. It's the familiar sounds of the hospital, those in the hall, the monitors, and you realize just for a moment as memories flood back, the tragedy and the one who saved you. Imagine in that moment discovering that you were as good as dead. But now you are alive. How does that impact your life? Oh, there would be rejoicing as best you could in that, in that state that you're in. Uh, there would be great gratitude for sure. You see, this is the reality that God's word speaks to us as we celebrate the resurrection. Uh, there is a reality of our death. And, and we need to understand that, that we, as the, as the scriptures say, are, are dead. In fact, um, we're going to look at this passage, and there's three things, just three things in this passage that I want to show you from, from uh, Ephesians chapter 2. One is the reality that you were dead in your sins, but second, that God made you alive, and then third, so that you might live for him, that you might walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you've been called. Three very simple things this morning. You were dead in your sins, but God made you alive so that you might live for him. In verse 1, we read this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is a sobering reality. It's a sobering reality, but it's one that um, the world, all of us, um, whether you're here and you're an individual of faith or you have come to faith, we need to be reminded of the reality of our death, that we were spiritually dead. You know, it's, it's easy when you're walking and talking and your body is animated to think that um, the immaterial part of you is alive as well. But the reality is, no, you're, you're dead. There's, there's something behind that, that understanding and that, that reality. Um, you might have your phone and you could look up and you could see, that, see what's in your bank account. And you can say, look, these numbers, these digital numbers, there must be something that they actually stand for. There's something standing behind those numbers. My, my son works um, at a bank. And every once in a while, he has this customer that comes in, and he'll say, um, I need to make a withdrawal. And so um, my son will, will um, take his, his check and cash his check, and he'll hand him his money. And the customer will say, no, 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 I don't want that. I want my money. I want the money I gave you. 
And in this, this gentleman's mind, he wants, he wants my son to go back into the vault and get out the actual dollar bills that, were, that he gave to be deposited into that bank. He wants those dollars back in his hands. And so on a regular basis, there's the explanation of how this reality in banking works, right? And, and that's, there's this concrete, this, this individual has this understanding. It's a concrete understanding that what is in his bank book is really in the vault. That's what Paul, as he writes in Ephesians, is speaking to us here. There is a real reality of death. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. We need to understand, as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate that Jesus, when he went to the cross, he didn't swoon. He wasn't passed out and the coolness of the tomb brought him back, resuscitated him in some... He was really dead. And it was the Father, by the power of the Spirit that made him alive. He was really dead. Our sins were nailed to Jesus as Jesus was nailed on the cross and he suffered and he died. And the reality is that we are born into the world. That's what this passage says, that we are the sons and daughters of disobedience, that sin is at work in us and we are dead in our trespasses and sins. There's a reality, there's a concreteness that, that Paul wants us to understand, that God wants us to understand that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And we can look at our body, we can look at our life and say, no, I'm animated. But there is the reality of death behind that. We need a Savior. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. You see, we see in this this passage that those that are dead follow the course of this world, and those that are dead in sin follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That there is a reality behind what we see that we only know, we only are conscious of because the word of God reveals it to us in scripture. And so we see this spiritual reality. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus spoke and he said, You are your father, the devil. You are, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. You know, this sounds radical to us, uh, but the scripture teach us, teaches us that either we have God as Lord or the evil one as Lord. And following the evil one takes on many forms. Some look dark and spooky, and we want to avoid them. But mostly, the devil is a deceiver. And so he makes the things of this world look to be good and attractive. 
But the reality is that they all lead to death. So Paul tells us here that those that live, that those that are dead in sin live in the passion of their flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. They're captured, captivated. They are dead in bondage. They're dead in their sins. But here he says, even worse, they are by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath. Now I, I recognize that this is not a popular reality. Right? This is not a popular reality. And some would actually criticize um, what we call the atonement. Jesus dying on the cross. They would say, how could a good father put his son to death? But that is a truncated, limited misunderstanding of what's happening here in, in the atonement. In Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus willfully laid down his life because it was the will of the Father to save those who were lost, who were dead in their trespasses and sins. And it was the Father, by the power of the Father, through the work of the Spirit, that brought Jesus back to life. It was the, it was the justice of God and his love that met together on the cross and in the tomb that makes salvation available to all. But the reality is that we have to understand that we are children of wrath. That sin is not some kind of therapeutic condition out there. Sin does affect everything in the world. This world is fallen and broken, and sin affects us externally. But the full reality is we are sinners, and we are condemned. And so Jesus, in his love and justice, goes to the cross because we are deserving of God's wrath. Look at those verses again, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the sin or the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is the natural condition of all mankind, according to the revelation of Scripture, men and women and children are dead in their sins, worldly, obedient to the evil one, fleshly, deserving of God's wrath by nature. This was our condition. When God, in his mercy, in his grace, in his great love, rescued us, redeemed us, adopted us as sons and daughters. I'll, I'll admit, the, the truth can be hard. The truth can be difficult. The truth can be humbling, but this is the truth. The truth can be troubling, but the truth is always good. And this is the, the truth concerning our helplessness. Oh, when we think back to the opening of this, 
And we think about someone who needs to be rescued, refusing the rescue. That's tragedy upon tragedy. Not knowing or knowing but refusing is the worst of all tragedies. To rebel against the rescue of a good and merciful God. But then this section of Scripture turns with the greatest contrast I think there is in Scripture. When it says, but God. But God, here's, here's how you were. You were dead. You were dead. Dead things can do nothing. They cannot do anything. They're dead. But God, God in his mercy, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us, it's active, made us alive together with Christ. Here we see the magnification of the grace and mercy of God. We see this reflected in the verse that we looked at last week, and it is one of the most wonderful verses often quoted in Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And here in Ephesians we read, but God being rich in mercy. God being rich in mercy. You can almost feel Paul straining to communicate to us how magnificent God's love is, how great his love is, how rich his mercy is. Even when we were rebellious. You know, there's some people that if we find easy to love, right? We find easy to love. In fact, we might, we might express it this way. Like, you know, there's some people that we love, but we really don't like. <laughs> right? Oh, God loved us. He liked us. There's probably, there probably is an endless, we could work to express the endless depths of God's love for us. We were hard to love. We were rebellious. We were dead. We stunk like death. But God, rich in mercy, loved you even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Oh, the great love of our Savior. Dead things cannot choose to live. They have to be made alive. And that's what God's love does. Even as his love creates the world, his love redeems a world that is rebellious against him. And Paul emphasizes this new life that we have in Christ through our union with Jesus as we are made alive. That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. We celebrate Christ rising from the dead because he is the first fruits of the harvest. He is the promise of life that is to come, of life everlasting. And here what the scriptures tell us is that we were made alive, but we were made alive by what? Union with Jesus in his resurrection. Hey, Paul tells the Corinthian church that if there is no resurrection, then sins could be paid for, but we are without hope. 
And here what he says, what Paul says is, no, we have hope. We have hope because what God made us alive by uniting us with Christ in his resurrection. We have three things by virtue of our union in Christ. Look at verse 5. We have three things. So he says he made us alive together with Christ. And then in verse 6, we learn that God raised us up with Christ. And after that, Paul tells us that God seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Jesus. So we are made alive, raised up, and seated in heaven. So there's a new reality. Do you see how the the banking reality has changed? This is, right, this is a reality. We can go to the, the vault of God's promise and we can withdraw from that vault this concrete promise that those that are in Christ are made alive, raised up, seated in heaven. And the, the scriptures communicate to us in such a way that says, not that it happens in the future, although it, some of these and the implications of these promises are in the future, but it is like it's in the bank right now. It's there, right? And how do I know? I, I can go and I can, I can open my checkbook. And what God says is, hey, there's a reality, a concrete reality for those that are in Christ. You see, that's what makes us Christian followers of Jesus, being made alive, raised up, seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's what makes us courageous Christians that in any time can cultivate joy. Because we have the promise of resurrection If we are in Christ, it is because God has given to us by his love new life. He has raised us up to newness of life. He will raise you from the grave in the end of time. For Christ is risen. And because Christ is glorified at the right hand of the Father, now in the heavenly places, you also, the reality is, you also are glorified with him. And in him, you will be glorified for all eternity. And so here is where this comes to rest so that you might be or that you might live for him. So third and lastly, Paul magnifies the marvelous grace of God by revealing all that we do in Christ. Our believing and our good works are themselves a gift from God. Verses 8 through 10 are just as marvelous. We learn that God has saved us graciously so that we might live for him and living for him is as much of a gift as him saving us. Look at verse eight. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are whose workmanship? His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God did what? Prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. This is marvelous. We are saved by the grace of God alone. And how are you saved? It says here that you have to trust in the work of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. Then you are saved. If that's what you profess today, 
then that's what God places on your account. He takes your sin. To be saved is to recognize your condition. That's the first point. But to be saved is is to recognize that Jesus is the one that is the only one who can make you alive through his death and resurrection and to trust in him. This is God's grace. This is God's message of grace. And to believe in this is to fully trust in him. And here we have this this picture put together because it's not simply being saved to lay in a hospital bed and to realize this reality and simply say, praise God that I'm saved. He does more than that. He makes us alive so that we can live in light of his promise and in light of his gift. He gives us salvation, but even more, he grants us gifts beyond salvation, and that is the good works that are in Christ Jesus. Right. So as we come to Resurrection Sunday and we reflect on on these verses, we ought to say, praise God, Jesus is alive. You know, you have all of our nice Easter dress, right? And you guys look good, and this looks marvelous, and the singing was fantastic. But if you leave here and don't realize that because of the resurrection, based on the resurrection, that now you are gifted by God's grace to walk in good works, and that is a gift, then you have missed it. Because it says that you were made alive for what? You were... You are God's workmanship. In other words, he has made you alive. This is a a past, present, and future reality. Past in Jesus. Present in that your life is secure. No matter what happens from that day forward, you are secure in, in Christ Jesus. You have the promised future of glorification. But there is this present gift and present grace You were created. You are God's workmanship. And he's still working on you. Which means, in light of this passage and in how this passage is constructed, in other words, there is a channel of God's grace to you every moment that you are alive. And it comes through Jesus Christ. He is gifting you. He is working on you. He is not finished. You are a work in progress. And the end is a guarantee. God's grace has been given you, not so that you can say, hey, look at me. Being a Christian means that by definition, we are the most humble people because we recognize there's nothing in us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. It wasn't that we were smart or got it. It's that God gave it. And even then, he made us alive to receive it. I've never had a dead person when you say, hey, I got $100 for you. What do they do? Can they put out their hand? They can't. God made you alive to receive the gift that he's given you. And now what this says is that it's an active, present, ongoing gift to do what? To do good works. That what? That God has prepared beforehand. You see, dear Christian, this is what this means, is that God has opportunities for you. Opportunities in all kinds of different ways for you to express the grace of God 
that is given to you through the word of God, Jesus, proclaimed in the word of God, the scriptures. God has given you in word and deed opportunities that abound because his grace and mercy continues to actively flow in you and through you. He has made you alive. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So that means our salvation is by grace. It means our life, our our movement forward, our progress towards glorification is by grace. But it's not just a spiritual reality. It's a real reality. We're called to do something in this world. We're called to be about the Father's business. Even as Jesus was revealing the love of God through himself to the world. So we are called to continue that work proclaiming. And how do we do it? How do we do it? Which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. That you should walk in them. You are God's inaugurated new creation. And you are to walk as this new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 says this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So Christ has called you, called you in word and deed to express the love of God, to sacrifice for the world and call people to repentance, to literally, by God's power, not yours, not mine, call the dead to life. That's this new reality. That is a wonderful ministry. By God's grace, you are a minister of reconciliation. So what this means is that Resurrection Sunday happens all the time. Oh, that we would see that, that we would understand that, that we would be these agents of change, this catalyst of change, not by our works, but proclaiming what Jesus Christ has done to the glory of the Father. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we celebrate today your gift and its ongoing reality in our lives, in our church, and in the world. So we ask that you would continue to make this invisible reality visible. And you do that through your church. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen your church, that you would grow the body of Christ to the glory of God. Um, Here in this place, this local church we call Northbridge, here in Southwest Michigan. And we know that this happens through the word preached in the church and the word proclaimed by the church in the world. And then, Lord, we pray that um, throughout the world that you would continue your work. 
Lord, I thank you for these missionaries that stand before me today, that are right here in this room, who understand the reality of your grace and are willing, just as you were willing, to pay the price in the world to proclaim who you are and to live in a way that is worthy of your calling. Help us to walk in your grace. Oh Lord, we pray that people would see in our lives your workmanship. And we pray for those who are still dead in their trespasses and sins. Lord, we ask of you your promise. Make them alive. Amen.